Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me and my guest for today, Dr. Mike Connors. If you don't know Mike, he has a BS in biology from Stockton College with a minor in psychology. His entry-level degree in physical therapy is a master's of physical therapy from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, Rutgers University. He has a post-professional doctor of physical therapy degree from Temple University. He became a board-certified specialist in orthopedic physical therapy from the American Board of PT Specialties in 2011. And Mike is currently finishing the remaining requirements for completion of a PhD degree in physical therapy with an emphasis in applied biomechanics from Texas Women's University, anticipated completion this year, 2016. He began working with GTC in October 2004. He recently rejoined the GTC family in June 2015 as the director of the Fort Worth Clinic. Mike's focus and specialization in orthopedic physical therapy makes him an efficient clinician in managing patients with orthopedic dysfunction. He utilizes a multimodal approach to meet the needs of his patients and clients that include spinal manipulation, dry needling, KT taping, and various other interventions. He is certified in functional dry needling from Kineticore. He has experience working with patients of all ages, from kids to adults, and from the weekend warrior to the elite athlete. He is an outside consultant for a professional ballet company in Fort Worth and is an adjunct professor in orthopedic physical therapy for the DPT program at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. And, like, that's not enough. He is the current president of the Texas Physical Therapy Association, advocating regularly for the PT profession in Austin and in Washington, D.C., on regulatory and payment policy issues impacting PT. And he's married and he has kids. Where he finds the time, I have no idea. But I love this, his personal statement, we talk about this a little bit in the interview, is it's always about the patient. We exist as PTs to help patients move better with less pain. It is my pleasure to help patients achieve this goal on a day-to-day basis. So what do we talk about today? So we started talking about advocacy in, in its many forms, and then that kind of spun off into APTA membership. And then that spun off to wellness consultation and preventative care and how PTs can enter into the wellness world when it comes to corporations. And he gives some stellar advice. So that's kind of towards the end. And finally, some advice to new professionals on empathy and preventing burnout, which was a big question uh, this week on social media. So I want to thank Mike so much for coming on. This was a great episode, guys. You're in for a real treat. And you're also in for a real treat if you are coming to the Women in PT Summit in New York City on November 4th. We, I'm not just saying this as a marketing ploy, but we are literally almost sold out. So if you're thinking of coming, get your ticket for a number of reasons. One, we are almost sold out. And two, the early bird price uh, is over on Wednesday, November 26th. So if you're listening to this on Monday... November 24th, get on and get your ticket. You can go to womeninptsummit.com. And I'm happy to announce Dr. Emma Stokes, the president of the World Confederation of Physical Therapy, is going to be Skyping in from Copenhagen for a live chat and live Q&A. And if you can't make it to New York City, I know it's only two weeks away, we have a video package where you'll get entry to a private Facebook group where we are going to be Facebook living the entire day. So you can ask questions live. You can be a part of the conference from your couch. You can't beat it. Plus, after the conference is over, you'll get a professional video of everything, including some behind-the-scenes interviews. So again, go to womeninptsummit.com. Check it out. If it resonates with you, please join us. The more, the merrier. Okay. That being said, let's get to today's podcast with Dr. Mike Connors. Hey, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so before we get started, let's talk a little bit more about you. So we gave kind of the official intro earlier, but talk a little bit about you, a little bit more about your personal life, what you're doing, and uh, how PT kind of fits into all of that. So um, world revolves around two daughters, um, nine-year-old and 11-year-old, so that's life these days. Um, PT just happens to be around all of that. Um, PT and private practice um, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, our company, Greater Therapy Centers, has 14 clinics. I'm growing pretty solidly, um, teaching 
you know, in an entry level PT program, um, you know, just as more of a part time adjunct type basis um, over in Fort Worth. Um, I own a private practice consulting company, small to medium size um, home staffing company where we provide therapists to, um, you know, to contract home health agencies and um, own a professional, um, say that, I own a uh, wellness consulting company that provides on-site consultative services to professional and uh, amateur performing artists organizations. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, because I know I see often on social media that you're sort of backstage and doing work with dancers and things like that. It's so much fun, right? Oh, it's awesome. They're such a fun bunch. I used to work at The Lion King. And I used to just absolutely, I worked there you know, just per diem, but I absolutely loved it because they're wonderful, not that all of our patients aren't great, but there's just something special about working with these professional dancers and they're so grateful and so thankful to, that you're there, right? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And you know, the, the term starving artist really comes to mind um, because you feel like these people are being so well compensated for what they do and you realize very, um, uh, astutely that they're they're compensated very um, minimally for the amount of work that they do and they are by far one of the greatest um, and most grateful group of people I've ever worked with yeah absolutely and and I always just liken them to because people say oh you never really work with professional athletes but yes these are professional I don't see how they're any different than your, you know, MBA, NFL. I mean, granted, they're maybe a little bit smaller depending on what kind of people you're working with, but the amount of training and grit and athleticism, I think, is the same. Absolutely. I mean, they're athletes in their own right. I mean, it's yeah. just a different performance. It's a different field, um, but they're taking the field, you know, 30 hours a week in rehearsal and then, you know, countless hours for their performances and, and they're the resources that, that are allocated to them is a fraction of what's allocated to professional athletes. Yeah, totally, totally. And they're such a great group. So now it sounds like you're obviously doing a lot. You're busy. You've got two kids. You've got a million businesses you're running. And yet you still have time, as most people would know if they know you in the physical therapy world, that you're, you're a huge advocate for physical therapy. So my question is, what does advocacy look like for you? Great question. So advocacy to me takes on all different forms. Um, I think we're an advocate for our patients every day. I mean, I think, um, you know, the time that you take to call an insurance company to advocate for a patient for additional continued therapy, you're an advocate. Um, when you're talking to a physician to or another colleague about medical necessity of physical therapy, you're an advocate. And then taking it to the other end of the extreme, advocates at all levels of, um, you know, for legislative intent, where you're taking your um, issue in the physical therapy realm, you're taking it to your elected officials, and you're utilizing that platform to deliver the message to help enhance patient access, payment policy. Um, so advocacy takes on a lot of forms and functions, but I think anytime that you're going above and beyond as a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant, and you're really trying to illustrate a need in the profession, you're serving as an advocate. Yeah, and I think that's, I love that you pointed out that it doesn't necessarily just have to be people on the legislative level, but that like if you are that working therapist and you're making that call to the doctor or you're making that call to the insurance company, that you are being an advocate for your patient and for the profession, I think. Um, and so what do you say to those people who, maybe those therapists who say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really consider myself an advocate because I'm just doing my job? No, I think that's another great question. Um, I just have that same conversation with them that you're an advocate. You know, what did you do today that was in the patient's best interest that the patient couldn't do for themselves or didn't have the knowledge or, or resources to do for themselves? I mean, you, you took the time out of your day Yes, your, your job is as a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant, you know, we treat patients, we manage their, their complex presentations, but um, we do a lot more than I think we give ourselves credit for. And I think that's a big part of why it is that we don't have the, um, you know, the, um, the widespread knowledge base about what we do 
because we don't talk enough about what we do. I have this ongoing joke that I think PT has become the new fight club. And the number one rule of PT is not to talk about PT. Right, right. Yeah, just... I, I agree. I mean, you can, so being an advocate for the profession can even be talking to your family, talking to your friends, you know, or when you're, I mean, gosh, I've been out in bars in New York and people say, oh, what do you do? Say oh, I'm a physical therapist. And I, I've never had someone be like, oh, okay. And walk away. They <laughs> always want to know, well, what do you do? What does that mean? Well, how does this work? And, and I think to have your, and I don't think it's an, an elevator pitch, so to speak. But I think as a therapist, you should at this point have concisely and simply figured out how to answer that question. So if, if you met me in a bar and you said, I'm a physical therapist, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, what does that mean? How would you answer the question? Well, this is what it means to me to be a physical therapist. I think we help people improve their daily function and their overall quality of movement on a day-to-day basis through a multimodal intervention plan. You know, so we help people move better is kind of my three-second elevator pitch. That's pretty good. I was once at a mastermind, and we had to stand up and in five words say what we do. So we had to say what we had to do on one hand. So I think I, think I said something along your lines. I think I said, I help people move better. <laughs> I think that's what I said, or something to that effect. That doesn't grammatically make sense. But I think it was something like that. So I always like my big challenge for PTs, even for students and practicing PTs is, can you say, can you kind of encapsulate what a physical therapist does on one hand in five words? Think about it. Mull it over. I'll ask you again at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the interview, and you better have an answer for that. Yes, ma'am. Um, but I just, I feel like that was, and I was glad that I didn't go first in that. But it's kind of interesting, and I would love for people to, maybe we can tell people to, like, put it out onto Twitter. We'll come up with a hashtag or something. So what you do on, can you say what you do in, in five words? Um, I would love to see what people come up with. So maybe we'll have a little challenge to that. We'll add, we'll add a challenge. Mike, Mike will give you $100 to the win. <laughs> to the to charity of your choice. <laughs> the charity of your choice. Yes, yes. That's what we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll go and have these with you. All right. There we go. <laughs> okay. So advocacy. We've got advocating on a daily basis for our patients, talking to other PTs, other professions, doctors, legislative intent. What about... I think when a lot of people think advocacy, they think automatically the APTA. And of course, you know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I have heard repeatedly from people is the APTA is not doing anything for us. Nobody even knows what we do. So I'm sure you hear that a lot. And you're part of the Texas physical, are you the president of the Texas PTA? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So how do you answer that question? Because I've gotten that from students. You know, like if I weren't a student, I'd never be a member of the APTA. I just have to because I'm a student. So, so I, what do you say to that? So I usually just go back to the real um, definition of TPTA and APTA. It's an organization, you know, of members. So when people say, you know, what has TPTA done for me lately or TPTA is not doing anything, my first response is pretty matter of fact, like what have you done to help further the mission and the goals of the organization? Because there are staff that work for, you know, TPTA for my component, um, APTA, but there's staff that are directed to um, strategic initiatives that are member driven. So if members aren't getting involved in the organization, like they say, Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, you, if you feel like there are problems with the organization, join the organization and help fight it from within. Help fix from within. Don't just bitch about it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? I feel like if you're not part of it, then you sh- you're not allowed to bitch about it. <laughs> no bitching allowed. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're not part of the organization, like, sorry. Join, and then, then you can have a voice. Go to your local... Uh, physical therapy, go to your state branches, go to like what I did two years ago at the next conference. I went to like the board of delegates. I'm not a delegate, but I just sat in the back and kind of watched as they went through everything. And it's something. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just governance is taking yeah. it at every form. And I think, too, it's we have a broad, we have a very narrow view when it comes to members versus non-members. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to think about how do we engage our colleagues? Yeah, yeah. How do you get people to, if, if you have colleagues that have no interest of joining, then ask them, I always ask, well, why? why? What is your biggest reason for not wanting to be a member? And usually one of the biggest reasons is cost. So I'm sure you've heard that a million times. So I'll ask you, what do you say to someone who says it's too expensive, I can't afford it? Which very well is, a, is, is definitely a very good reason. I would never say, listen, if you can't afford it, I completely understand. Um, but what would you say to someone who, if that is the, the main reason? I'd say actually two things. One, it's what's your value proposition? So, I mean, I write that check every year and it's grown over the years. I think it was like $800 this year. And I'm like, mm-hmm. damn, that's a lot of money. But I also know when I'm, I guess we don't write checks anymore, credit card payment. Um, but, you know, I, when I'm thinking to renew, I think, you know what, it's worth 10 times that in my mind. Um, because I look at membership in the association as insurance for your profession. You know, we have insurance for everything. We even have pet insurance. You mentioned the cat. You know, you, you have insurance. Oh, listen, I wish I had pet insurance for that cat. <laughs> but, but we have insurance for everything. And yet, you know, we have this profession of, of all of our colleagues. And only some of us invest in that insurance. Because um, I tell people all the time, like, look, dry needling is being challenged very aggressively across the country. I use that about 30% of my practice. If the acupuncturist were to come to the table and say, you know, we don't think physical therapists should be doing that anymore. I, as a single practitioner, don't have the resources to throw back at them, whereas the association is our insurance to be that voice. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And also, you know, think about direct access, right? There's now some form of direct access in every state. I know Texas, it's not great. You can just see, you just, it's an eval, right? Is that it? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not great, but at least there is some form in every state and that's due in large part to relentless lobbying from the APTA and from the individual states. So, I mean, hopefully you guys, are there plans in Texas to bump that up? We've tried for every session for the last 10 years. Um, we're working a lot more collaboratively with APTA this upcoming mm-hmm. session because our state only meets every two years. Really? Yes, ma'am. Wait, your state legislature meets every two years? Every two years. Fascinating. Um, okay. So hopefully next time you can kind of bump that up. I know in New York, it's like 10 visits or 30 days. Which is what we're shooting for. Yeah. That's, that's consistent. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good compromise. I mean, I would hope someday New York will just be free and clear. Um, but, I mean, 10 visits in 30 days is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, if you're not seeing change then, then... Exactly, exactly. Like, I'm, I usually see patients. I don't even see patients for 10 visits usually. I see them for five or six visits. They're better, and, and then that's it. But, you know, I think... Uh, And that's, again, going back to the advocacy part of it, if you're not advocating for your profession with physicians and with uh, other healthcare practitioners, they they don't even know that you're a profession that can see patients direct access. No, most people don't. I mean, look at the statistic of 22% of people with low back pain seek out the services of a physical therapist and like over 50% seek out services of a chiropractor. Right. Chiropractors talk about themselves. We don't. Right, right. So what can we do as a profession to talk about ourselves more? What are we missing? Where, where are we missing the boat here? I think it's the um, just awareness, front of mind awareness. Like we do these great things every day and nobody ever tells their story. Now, social media has made it easier mm-hmm. for a lot of people to share those stories. But, um, you know, we're just not sharing them at the level that we need to, to increase public awareness. And where, what is that level? Where do we need to be? Well, I think we need to be at the 50% and not the 26%. I mean, ironically in private practice, we're sitting here all competing against one another for 20% of the pie. And what we're not seeing is that there's another 75 plus percent that's out there that's doing everything but physical therapy. Right. How, how do we engage that 75 plus percent? 
as let's, if we could give out some like practical tips here. So you're, you're a physical therapist in a hospital or you're in private practice or home care. What can you do on a daily basis or how can you get those people to know, hey, we're a profession, not unlike chiropractors who can see patients directly. So what are, what are some things that we can do to get the word out or to, to bring more awareness to that? I think number one is talk about what you do. I mean, so many therapists I know are just amazing clinicians and half the time they never even, what I call brag on themselves because there's not that kind of professional. Um, so I think first and foremost, talk about it, get on social media, tell your patient stories, um, talk about what we do in your community, um, participate in the health fairs, you know, the wellness expos. When's the last time you went to a health wellness expo, a run, you know, 5K, 10K marathon, and you didn't see a chiropractor. You mm -hmm. see them all the time. How many physical therapists do you see at those events? Mm -hmm. Very few. We want to, you know, we do like the balance and fall prevention, and that's great, but there's this huge wellness piece that we're missing the boat on. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree 100%. And would it also be advantageous for PTs to look into different media opportunities? Right. So whether maybe it's your local news station or popular online blogs, you know, like HuffPost or uh, um, I don't know, other online places so that you can tell your story, whether it be health magazine or prevention or something like that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's taking the advocacy to certainly another level. But like you said, a lot of PTs don't like to quote and I use quote unquote brag about what they do. But I don't think that it's bragging about what you do. I think it's advocating for what you do and showing that what you do works. Absolutely. And just demonstrating the, the efficacy of what you're claiming. I mean, mm -hmm. seeing a patient move better with less pain is, is all the advertising I think we need. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think if you have the opportunity to pitch to, to national magazines or large uh, blogs that have large readership, I say go for it. Absolutely. And to give a quote or a plug for the association, they have great resources. Private practice section has the media core. APTA has a lot of resources to help you navigate through that what can be complex media outreach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the APTA also has a good media core as well. Um, but it's, you know, I've been taking a course on media outreach and it is interesting because there are very specific ways to pitch. So you want to, it's, it's different. Pitching to a podcast is much different than pitching to an online publication versus a magazine versus TV. I don't know. I guess I should probably do a podcast about that. Um, but <laughs> it's, it is very interesting. And, and I, I, what I encourage all PTs to do is pitch yourself to podcasts that are not PT related. Absolutely. That's a great so, idea. So seek out, like go to iTunes, go to, and, and find out, go to the health and wellness thing, you know, because sometimes the science and medicine where a lot of the PT ones are, are just maybe not your target audience, but go to the fitness and go to the health and wellness ones and pitch yourself. Go to the entrepreneurial sites and pitch yourself. Like I'm doing tomorrow, I'm recording with John Lee Dumas for Ant Entrepreneur on Fire. Oh, that's cool. And you better bet I'm going to be talking about PT, <laughs> you know? So it's a great way to kind of advocate for, for yourself, but also for the profession. So that would be another great challenge. Start pitching yourself to podcasts outside of PT so that people who aren't PTs can start listening to what we do. And can actually learn about something. And can learn about, and can kind of learn about what we do. Yes. Because I think that's really important, you know, and I'm, it's something that I'm going to try and do. Um, probably I'm going to really put my whole heart and soul into it in November. Um, <laughs> but I think that's important. So I would love to see more PTs doing that. And that's a great way because we can all advocate for each other and to each other. And that's super important. But it's also important to advocate to people who aren't PTs. That have no connection to us other than they happen to be professions that we may have interactions with or just yeah. increasing the awareness. 
Yeah. Or, or like having complimentary, like go on a, a yoga podcast, you know, go on a nutrition podcast, right? Because these are all people who should technically be part of your team. Absolutely. You know, every, like we'll get into the wellness part of it. Well, let's get into it now. So you said earlier, you know, PTs are a big chunk of what we can do is, is within the wellness realm. And I think if you're going to be in the wellness realm, you need to have a team. You know, it has to go beyond just you. It should be you. It should be a nutritionist or a registered dietitian. Uh, it, it could be Pilates. It could be yoga. It could be personal training. But I think all these people need to be in your circle. So um, now you sort of have this kind of wellness consulting and things like that. So where do you see PT fitting into, into wellness? So I think I'll use my organization as an example, we provide those consultative and on-site services for performing artists. Um, so not abnormal for us to look to physical therapy to be kind of the drivers of the bus. So we're going to be the frontline, you know, evaluator of their needs, um, the um, responsible party for decreasing their likelihood of injury um, and decreasing their rate of injury, um, and then facilitating the referrals. So we have athletic trainers on our team. Um, we have access to sports psychologists, clinical nutritionists, um, yoga, Pilates, um, gyrokinesis. So we've identified the needs of the population. Um, we employ a performing arts medicine physician as part of our, you know, our team as well, who also helps to direct care in consultation with the physical therapist. So it's, you know, physical therapists feel like I think a lot of times we're kind of the back of the bus um, in the wellness realm when really I think we can be driving so much more and doing it like Mike um, Eisenhart talks about with the idea that we're going to save in a case the dancer's employer um, significant resources by decreasing their likelihood of injury and keeping them at high levels of performance for longer periods of time. Absolutely. And so let's say you get a call to go to a dance company, right? So can you take the listeners through how that initial consultation would go just so people have an idea. Cause I think a lot of people say, Oh, we consult. And you're like, um, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like I need step-by-step -step directions. Absolutely. So, um, what I typically look at first and foremost is their epidemiological statistics. So what are the rates of their injury? You know, what is um, a three to five year history? What are the most common injury presentations? What's the expenditures yearly for each condition? And then overall, what's the premiums that you're being charged for your work comp? Um, one of the companies I work with in Fort Worth, they pay about $175,000 a year for their work comp insurance for about 45 dancers, 44 dancers. Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah. You know, and, and when companies are looking at how can they maximize their budget to keep these, you know, dancers performing at a high um, performance level for long periods of time, they want to know how can they do it with minimizing injury. So that's one of the first discussions that I have. You know, we talk about we can provide on-site coverage for performances. We can provide, um, you know, flexibility, strength, all, all those type of assessments, um, you know, we can provide the, the medical team in place to manage their needs. But to me, the real value that we bring to the table is let us be part of your injury prevention and wellness team and let us demonstrate that. So we first went to one local company about three years ago and we were really, you know, brazen in the fact that we said we're going to get through the nutcracker season. So about 44 performances in 24 days. Everyone knows nutcracker. Christmas. Absolutely. Christmas season's coming up. Craziest time of year. We're already starting preparation for it. Mm -hmm. and, um, we told them we're going to get through this for the first time with no injuries. And it, it was like 20 years that they had you know, gotten through that. Well, we delivered. You know, we, we put in all the preemptive um, assessments. We addressed a lot of the um, what we identified as risk for injury. You know, we studied the, the Nutcracker performances. We identified the common movement flaws. We worked with the ballet masters to correct those movement flaws. Um, so when they identified them, we talked about the biomechanical elements of it. So we just really did exactly what we said we were going to do. And so, and, and I think it's important that people might now be thinking, well, I'll never work with a dance company. 
I won't have the opportunity to do that, but I don't think it's who you're working with. I think it's the framework around the actual work. So I, I love that instead of you saying, oh, well, we just provide injury assessments and risk assessments, and we just did flexibility and things like that. But before you started, you looked at their past rates of injury. You're looking at, and this is for the company as a whole, yes. right? Yes, ma'am. So, and I think that's important. So if you were to go into maybe a local factory, you can get these same numbers. Am I right? You can yeah. see how, how often people got injured, where, what job they were working at. You know, if it's a factory, is it the person who is doing the lifting in the warehouse or is it the person who's doing line work? You know, so I think you can even break that down even more. Whereas you're looking at this is what they do in the nutcracker. These are the moves that might be most dangerous or might have the most injuries. So I think it's the framework. So that that is the most meaningful. Absolutely. I mean, we're working with injured employees or injured workers. I mean, it's no different. I think if you're a, a forklift driver or if you're a high level dancer and musician, um, you're being paid to do a job. If you're injured, you can't do that job. There's downstream implications for that, regardless of what you do. And I think we have a huge opportunity that, frankly, we haven't embraced nearly to its full capacity to go into that workplace realm and really just rock it. Yeah, no, not even close. Um, but I, I love, I really do appreciate that you talk about the back end you know, doing the background work, doing that preliminary work before you even do an assessment on someone, you're doing all of that background work first, correct? Yes, ma'am. Well, you got to know your population. Yeah. You know, to yeah. be credible with, with, I think, any population, you have to know what you can learn about them, show them that you're willing to put the time in to learn about them, and then deliver on what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I'm so glad that you said that because I think when people think about wellness, they just think, oh, you're just going to go in and do a couple of lectures a month or you're going to do some ergonomic assessments and, and that's your wellness plan. Yeah. We're, so much more. Yeah. We're not even, you know, hitting the tip of the iceberg with, the, you know, taking our knowledge of nutrition or bringing, to your point, the registered dietitian to the table, utilizing the expertise of our multidisciplinary team to help just enhance our care delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also love that you guys have a sports psychologist because it's so important, especially for that dancing population. Ooh. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Very yeah, involved. A, yeah, very involved. Very involved. Okay. So we talked advocacy. We talked um, about kind of wellness and health prevention or health promotion, I should say, health prevention. Um <laughs> So let's talk about now. We've got all this stuff. So you and I can talk about this stuff. We've been in the profession for quite so I've probably been in a little longer than you have. <laughs> um, but what about new grads? What about students? How do we reach them so they can become advocates for the profession? So they can start thinking beyond the clinic, beyond the hospital, and moving into this PT is for injured people only mindset so what how do you if how do you talk to these students and to these new grads i think you put yourself where they are um, i look at you know all of these different alternative practice models and niche practices that are popping up all over the place i mean i can go just my own area and i know it's probably the same in new york where new professionals are entering into our profession and in three to five years they're starting a private practice oh, yeah. and Maybe it's not the traditional brick and mortar. They're doing mobile private practices like in-home care. They're doing um, uh, pelvic health. They're doing, um, you know, all of these cool different, uh, even wellness consultants. So we're, they're already thinking that the traditional definition of physical therapy is not for me in many instances. And they're looking for the right mentors that will A, listen, and B, help guide them. So I've actually started to say, I feel like my role now is more of a facilitator of new professional success earlier than I came into mine. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I always feel like, gosh, if I had like the mentorship when I was younger, I, who knows where I'd be now, you know, but I, and, but I also think, and, and, 
correct me if I'm wrong here, but I also think that there's a fine line between kind of being that mentor, being that, like you said, that facilitator to kind of help new grads and help students move along to giving unrealistic expectations. <laughs> Do you agree? I mean, that's a fine yes. line. And, and I feel like I see that every once in a while. Of, of these kind of slightly unrealistic expectations. So how do you walk that line? So I think it is a fine line. I think what you have to show a new professional is, you know, you're only limited by your, your potential and your willingness, you know, your grit, your willingness to go kill it. Um, but, you know, you also have things like out of control student loan debt, um, you know, banks that aren't freely loaning money to people that are already in significant debt to do startups. I think the other mistake we make is that we assume that people want to have our similar career paths when a lot of the newer professionals value things very differently. Mm -hmm. uh, not all of them value money. Not all of them value. Some value um, community impact and um, what sorts of involvement they can have in, in their communities, um, for example. So you need to know, you know, what it is that they value and then, you know, help them kind of see the overall framework. Like, yes, you know, I had a perfect example. One of my former students contacted me with her husband um, last week. So I went and had lunch with them and we talked about, they want to open up this like neuro-based PT practice. And I was like, that's great. And they're already thinking like, oh, when we get to like three locations and we're like 1.5 million in revenue. And I'm like, that's awesome. Get the doors open first. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you or I sit there and like our eyes are like, yeah, 1.5 million in revenue and multiple locations sounds great. You know, 30% uh, EBITDA sounds great too. Um, but just helping them see that this stuff doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. That, you know, it, there's, there's a logical progression. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. And then there's a lot of failure that happens. And nope. that's okay, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I failed a lot more times than I've been successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just because you failed doesn't mean that, just because you failed at one thing doesn't mean you failed. Absolutely. Or that you're a failure. You know, and for a lot of PTs, I think a lot of PTs are kind of like myself. We're type A, we're perfectionists. And so when something goes wrong, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? This can't be. And then, and then I think your first, in, your, a lot of times your first instinct is like, oh, well then forget it. You know, this isn't for me or, you know, you want to kind of take the, the easier path versus the path less traveled. But I think it's important every time I've had a failure, I've actually written it down. Okay. Like I, I had a failure. I'm like, okay, I'm writing this down because I don't want to A, make that mistake again. <laughs> you know, sometimes you go on and you're like, why? did I do this last year and, and it didn't work out? So whenever I have a failure, whether it be big or small, right? And a small failure could be, boy, I sent out an email to uh, like a newsletter email and the, the subject title was sucked. <laughs> you know? Nobody opened it. It was terrible. So let me write down what that was so that I don't make that small mistake again versus a big mistake. Like I picked a bad lawyer. The, or I didn't have a lawyer when I first incorporated big mistake. Yes. I learned. So I wrote that down, you know? So I think it's important you kind of write down your failures and then underneath, write what you learned from it. So then now you're taking this potentially negative or catastrophic event and turning it into a learning experience. Well, I think you said it earlier with the entrepreneur. I mean, entrepreneurs are going to kind of continually learn and evolve over time. So that way you just can count your successes you know, as much as you count your failures, as long as you learn from them and you evolve, then it was a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's like how you gave the example of, you know, having 1.5 mil in revenue and three clinics and things like that, but which is great. And I think that's a great big vision to have. That being said, like you say, like you got to open your doors, like you got to get patients in. And, and what I've heard from people that I've spoken to is like, they're like, God, people make it seem like it's so easy to get patients. <laughs> and that just has not been my experience. And I feel like I've done everything that people have told me. And I'm not, I don't have like unlimited amount of patients. Join the club. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're on the street corner handing out your card, you know. And if you are, you're probably not getting the patients that you want. That's true. That's true. But it's. Yeah, it's hard. And I think people have to keep in mind that it takes patience and it takes, like you said, grit. 
and, and determination and passion and love for what you do. You know, otherwise you're going to burn out pretty quick. And I think we see that a lot with people that do burn out because, you know, you just, you lose direction. And at some point, you know, when you lose that direction, it's hard to stay engaged. Yeah. And actually, on, I think it was a student Facebook group. I think somebody wrote, how do you, what, it, what is your advice for avoiding burnout? Which I think is an, it's an interesting question. Um, so what would your advice be? to whether you're a student or I think a student or a grad, I think as you get older and you've been in the profession, you definitely get a better system in place, you know, and I don't mean a physical system, but at least a system in your head, right? On how to kind of run through your day and not burn out. I mean, I find one of the biggest reasons for burnout is because PTs hopefully are empathetic and sometimes you can take on all of that energy that people are giving to you all day, which is, you know, I'm still in pain. This still hurts. That still hurts. And yeah, it can be like a downer, right? And if you're super empathetic, sometimes you have a hard time releasing that. Um, so what, what, what is your best advice for how to avoid burnout? So I think you have to constantly reinvent yourself. I think you need to be evolutionary in your approach to whether it's clinical care, whether it's administration. I do think it's hard to maintain high levels of empathy for long periods of time without creative outlets to help um, channel that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think when you talk to the most successful people, like look at um, uh, Evidence Emotion, Larry Venz, John Childs, the call to care um, or call to care, you know, where they're really um, trying to reemphasize the empathetic um, element in our profession. I mean, I think it's a shame that people forget how to be empathetic. I think um, all the demands of our daily work um, de-emphasize some of that empathy to an extent. Like I got to have all these, you know, things in place for, you know, for, for, for payment policy. Right. Like the piles of paperwork and. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I think, I think that's hard. And, and I think sometimes even on a daily, how about like on a daily basis, right? So maybe you're not burnt out of the profession, but on a daily basis, you're burning out, you know? And what I do, this is just something that I do just as now, I have to also say, you know, I see patients in their homes and I have an hour visit with each patient. And in between, I actually have give myself like anywhere from 15 minutes to half an hour. So I can actually go for a walk outside, which obviously helps a lot. Um, but I've been in the clinic where you're seeing patients every half an hour. And what I do, and this is a little tip from Sharon Salzberg, who is a meditation teacher. Um, and she has a great book called Meditation at Work. It's awesome. It's great. But she does these things called stealth meditations. And so what I used to do is, obviously, when you're in between patients, you're washing your hands. I think it's a given, hopefully. <laughs> in between patients, we're washing our hands. So instead of washing your hands and talking to someone else or washing your hands, I think as you're washing your hands, focus on the water, like running through your fingers, focus on the soap as it's, you know, bubbling up and really just sit and focus on the true action of washing your hands, really being in the moment and trying to block out or not think of anything else, but just the, what that feels like. And it's like a stealth meditation. So maybe it's a 20 second meditation, but that 20 seconds is enough to reset yourself for the next patient. It's a great idea. Anyway, that's mine. That's my little tip for, for when you're kind of on the go. And unless you're like me and you have 15 minutes to a half an hour in between patients and you can go for a walk, then <laughs> um, obviously I, I say go for it. But um, that sort of those, these little stealth meditations or sometimes I would even before I went in to see a patient is I would just take a minute and do a couple of deep breaths, like some deep breathing and like a quick one minute meditation and then go into the next patient. So that way you've kind of, taken off some of the energy that the last patient gave you and you're ready to take on that new energy and be present for that patient. So great strategies. Yeah. They're mine. What about you? Your turn. So I, I try to just um, remember why I'm there. 
I mean, I try to remind myself on a pretty consistent basis, like I have a knowledge base that can help this patient. They came to me because they're in pain, they're not moving well, um, they're not well. Um, I have an advantage because I, I'm, I don't have their issue. Um, in that sense, and not an advantage, like I have something that they don't or they have something that I don't, but just a, you know, this is a symbiotic type interaction. Like I want to learn more as a professional, so I become better at what I do. So if I can really help this individual with their presentation, so I think about things as puzzles. Every time I can, you know, crack the puzzle and move on to the next patient and crack the next puzzle, that's really energizing for me. Um, when I can't, then my type A personality kicks in and I tend to go into like overdrive, like, okay, I've really got to figure this out. But I think the silent meditation works. I mean, I wake up every day and truly love going to work. I mean, I, I understand and I hear when people say burnout, I'm like, well, what are you burning out from? Are you burning out from routines? Are you burning out are patients really burning you out or is it all the other minutiae that you're dealing with as part of your job? And I think most of the time it's that, I mean, people yeah. shouldn't burn out physical therapists. It should be, you know, that all the other stuff, the, you know, the patient every 20 minutes or 30 minutes, that, that demand, the paperwork, the, the documentation, all that kind of stuff. But um, I think when people become less sympathetic, it, it makes them a lot more likely to burn out. So you know, my other encouragement is just try to reconnect with that empathy. Um, try to, keep it in your mind why you, you chose this profession, because I think it's pretty cool we get to do on a daily basis. Yeah. So kind of like check in with yourself. Exactly. Check in with yourself. And, and just even if it's like repeating a mantra before you go in to see your next patient, because the last thing you want to do is carry your, I was going to say, I was going to curse, carry your baggage. Um, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> But the last thing you want to do is kind of carry your baggage from, oh, I have to finish four hours worth of paperwork in to see the next patient because then you jip yourself and you jip that patient, right? Yeah. If you're not fully present, then boy, you've just wasted your time and their time. Absolutely. You know? We're being judged more and more on each and every interaction with our patients because of all sorts of demands. You know, you have to bring your A game every time. That's exhausting, but your patient deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just had a patient call me today who said he he had just had a partial knee replacement and he had a PT come to like contact him, but he was like, you know, they can only come at odd times and I'd be seeing a different PT every time and he's, he's at home right now. And he's like, I just want someone who's going to be consistent to come to me because I want to get better fast. Awesome. You know, he's like, I'm 64. I want to ski. I want to water ski. I want to get back to playing tennis. I want to get back to biking and swimming. And this is what I want to do. And I want to get better fast. He's like, is this something you can do? And Sign I, me up. I said, yes, you're exactly <laughs> the person I want to work with. Um, but you know, so, and that's coming from the patient view, right? So you had uh, another person contacting him who said, well, maybe I can come at this time or this time, but it's really only what works for me. And you will probably only see me this day and you'll see someone else the next day and someone else the next day. And so the patient experience is lost, you know? Well, I think it's that whole patient centric versus provider centric. And we engage in a lot of behaviors that make it about us when, you know, I tell a lot of my PTs, like, it's not about you. It's about the patient. So make it about the patient because the reality is people are paying more for less coverage. That's the general rule these days. And when they have to pay more, they're much more informed consumers. And if you can't bring that A game, they're going to find someone that can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what this guy called me. He's like, I can pay for my PT. That's awesome. He's like, I'll pay for it. If it's going to get me to where I need to get to faster, I'm happy to pay for it. So, so there you go, right? Um, and I think that's maybe the future in a lot of ways of healthcare in general, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, advocacy, wellness health promotion, engaging the future of the profession. What did we miss? <laughs> I don't know that we missed anything. <laughs> we anything either. I think, we, I think we covered everything. So... Let's see. So we'll probably have to start wrapping up pretty soon anyway. I don't even have a timer on. I don't even know how long we've been talking for, but it's been good. Um, a lot of good nuggets of knowledge here. So before we kind of sign off, how would you, what would you like to say? Here's a good question. What would you say to your new grad self? 
knowing what you know today and knowing you when you graduated, what would you say to your new grad self? Get out there and kill it. <laughs> you know, just get out there and, and, you know, get your, your vision, your dream, figure out where you want to be. And, and I've been a PT for 13 years where you want to be in, in five, 10, 15 years, and then just start checking off the goals. Um, you know, don't give up, learn from your successes as much as your failures. And, um, don't stop celebrating both of them until you're where you want to be. Yeah. Well, that is great advice. So, um, I want to thank you, Mike, for coming on. And where can people find out more about you? Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. And uh, find out more about me is uh, go to www.gtc-pt.com. It's Greater Therapy Centers. That's our outpatient company. And then on Twitter, um, at mconnorspt. And uh, Facebook, Mike Connors. All righty. And do, does your um, clinic have a Facebook page? They do, Greater Therapy Centers. Great. Yeah, so, and, and don't forget, everybody, all this will be um, in, in the show notes over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So if you didn't have a pen and paper on you, you're driving to work, you're running, don't worry about it. You can hop on the computer and head over to the podcast website, and you'll get all of this information, all the links uh, for Mike. So you can get in touch with him, follow him on social media. If you're not doing it already, he's got some great tweets and, and, uh, well worth the follow. So Mike, thank you so much again for coming on. This is great. Thanks Karen. All right. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. And again, you can follow me, um, on Twitter at Karen Litzy NYC and on Facebook, I think it's Facebook slash healthy, wealthy, smart or facebook.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.